You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Wednesday, and in these episodes, Sangram and myself, James Carberry, focus on personal development. We'll share books and other resources that are helping us get a little bit better every single day. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. I got a special announcement for you. I have been part of the Peak community for almost a year now. And here is the thing. Less than 1% of the marketers become CMOs. And you know what's even harder? Staying a CMO without a high caliber peer network that can help you beat the odds. In Peak community, they build a community around you by creating exclusive events and experiences to help you become 1% better each week. So you can get promoted, have an impact, and do the best work of your life. This episode that you're listening to is an example of the conversations that happen literally every single day in the Peak community. So check out, the link is below. If you want to be part of it, it's only for marketers. So make sure you're not a lurker, but someone who want to have an impact and do the best work of your life. Let's go. Okay, welcome, folks. Uh, my name is Andrew Gaffney. I'm editorial director with uh, Demand Gen Report and the B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange. Really appreciate uh, you tuning in. Um, what we're trying to do here with our, our roundtables, our vertical roundtables, we're looking at taking a, a deeper dive into some of the unique challenges and, and aspects of, of distinct uh, markets and how marketers are, are handling them. Um, of this, this one we're going to be doing here today is on financial services, and I'm really pleased to have Pat Scanlon join me. I've had the opportunity to work with Pat on some uh, some of her in-person events that she does with her group, which is called the Corporate Financial Group. Uh, she works with some of the top banks, some of the top brands in the financial services sector. She has uh, intimate networking and education throughout the year uh, with her group and her team. Um, and she's been kind enough to gather some of her members and, and thought leaders in the financial services community to join her for um, this roundtable and presentation. So. Without further ado, Pat, let me turn it over to you to get us started. Thank you, Andrew. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Financial Services Roundtable at this B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange. I'm Pat Scanlon. I'm the Managing Director of the Corporate Financial Group, the only network of B2B financial marketing professionals. I'm thrilled to be part of this session today, and thank you, Andrew, and the team there for inviting us to join you. As we are all B2B marketers, we share common challenges, especially this year, as we have made a complete pivot to digital marketing. But instead of focusing on our challenges so much, I have put together a program that focuses rather on the opportunities this challenging year has offered us. So let me go over the plan for the next 45 minutes. First, I'll give you a few comments from my, me and my group, um, the Corporate Financial Group, about this year. And then we will introduce you to our speakers. And then we're going to talk about three ideas to transform marketing at your company. Turning marketing into a strategic asset, artificial intelligence and intent data, and leveraging business and community partnerships to deliver distinctive virtual events. We can all agree that 2020 will go down in history as memorable, to say the least. The events of this year have tested our resolve in ways we never imagined. But guess what? Most of us have met the challenge bravely, both at home and at work. The one theme I have heard in our community is resilience. 
it's been amazing to watch people perform at levels we didn't know were even possible, our members say. Marketers at all levels have turned crisis into opportunity. They've increased their influence with their business partners internally by creating opportunities to increase sales and revenue, unheard of even in normal times. So this afternoon, I'm joined by three remarkable marketers who have reached into the future to transform marketing at their institutions, maybe forever. In the next 40 minutes, we are going to talk about those three such transformational opportunities, turning marketing into a strategic asset through partnership marketing, leveraging AI as a predictor to sales, and utilizing your professional relationships to engage your clients and prospects virtually. As a seasoned marketing executive, Stephanie leads the marketing team at HSA Bank and Webster Bank to raise brand awareness and maximize growth for the bank. Stephanie's career has included brands Connecture, GE Healthcare, GE Capital, and Wells Fargo. Angie is a sponsorships and event planning executive with 20 years of combined experience in the financial and non-professional, I'm sorry, nonprofit industries. I'm just going to go back here. Currently, she oversees all aspects of sponsorships at BNP Paribas in New York City. Prior to joining the bank, Angie held various event planning positions in highly reputable nonprofit industries in New York City, including City Harvest and the Thomas G. Lebrecht Foundation. Julie has 20 years experience in marketing financial services, evenly split between B2B and B2C. Early in her career, Julie realized it is as critical how a problem is solved as it is how successful you are at solving a problem. Julie began testing data-driven decisions at USAA and continued throughout her career at SunTrust, most recently leveraging artificial intelligence as a predictor to sales. I invited Stephanie, Julie, and Angie to join you to, to share with you the experiences that allowed them to transform their platforms to make a difference in their institutions this year. You'll learn that as crisis loomed, they didn't stand still. They, like many of their peers in financial marketing, leveraged their values, their mission, and their purpose to transform the role of marketing and expand its influence on the business of banking. Following their sessions, you'll have an opportunity to ask a question or two, or you can use the chat box while we're going through the presentations to pose a question. If we don't get to yours immediately, we'll be sure to respond online after the session. Marketers, there are so many ways to make your mark right now. So we hope that the ideas we share with you this afternoon inspire you to think big and be bold. This is your time, marketers. Thanks so much for listening to us this afternoon and sharing your stories. So let's get started. Now I will move to the next slide. We're gonna kick off with Stephanie. Stephanie, you wanna take it over? Absolutely, thanks, Pat. And I could not be more excited to be here amongst fellow B2B marketers. I'm really looking forward to telling one little story that Pat thought was pretty interesting of how we really took marketing and be less of the order taker brochure department um, and really turned it into a strategic asset. So go ahead, Pat, I think we can advance our slide. So when we started down this path of thinking of ways we could do this, what we were really listening to is our customers, right? So at HSA Bank, just so that you have context and understand what we do, um, we we service and, and sell 
uh, health savings accounts for employers, right? So large jumbo employers, I'll talk about a few of, of those. You might think ConAgra, uh, Microchip, Relics, uh, Amazon, those big type of, of employers are our customer. And then they take the HSA and they give it to their employees. So that's that's what we do. And it, we really understood by listening to the market as we're going out in our sales transactions that there is a definite need for you know, marketing of that of this thing itself to the employer's employees. And so we just said, you know what, let's listen to this phenomenon that we're hearing in the marketplace and figure out how to craft it so that we could actually help win deals. Go ahead, Pat. And when we think about that, can we move, you know, from that brochure company or uh, department in cost center to being a strategic asset? The answer is absolutely we can, right? You differentiate yourself with proven tactics and campaigns thoughtful packages, think about mass customization, because I think sometimes when when we as marketers hear customization, it's like, oh, I've seen that movie before. And you can get wrapped around the, uh, the special snowflake path pretty easily. But I think you can do it with things like mass customization. And how, you know, it's because we're winning deals, we're creating, you know, barriers to entry for our competitors, and we're delighting customers. So introducing the partnership marketing group that is part of the marketing team at HSA Bank. Go ahead, Pat. You know, really what it is, right? It, it's, it's custom marketing that we do that is co-branded, targeted. It's unique to each of the employers. It's built in at the deal stage when we're doing RFPs, and we ultimately are managing and executing it here within my team. You know, what it's really helping us do, like I said, we're penetrating better um, into the the employer's accounts. We're winning more deals. You know, we're getting higher balances. And so those are the things that we make money on. And so my bosses are pretty happy about all of that. But why our customers love it is they, the more employees that take them up on an HSA account, they get tax savings. They get increased amounts of their employer, employees who are ready for retirement. Uh, which is a big problem in the benefits industry. And then certainly we're helping to simplify for those heads of HR who are trying their best to stay above water with hiring and, and migration to virtual and all the things that they've got going on there. This was just such a great time. Um, like Pat set up in the beginning, created opportunity for us to help them simplify. Go ahead, Pat. And so we came up with the custom marketing packages and, and, you know, rather than calling them, you know, gold, silver, bronze, we really thought about, you know, a naming them something that was going to be more indicative of what they needed. So it's right time, right place. And the kinds of things that come up within the boost can, you know, program, as an example, you get a communications workshop, you get calculators, you get co-branded, you know, annual marketing report, you um, then move on up to maybe more email campaigns. And then the, the highest level of the tiering would be, you know, things like account optimization, um, spe specific things that we do to help those employer employees, like we're doing virtual open enrollments. You know, you used to be able to go sit in a cafeteria and, and shake somebody's hand and learn about the benefits that are coming. That's all changed, right? So again, Pat, thank you. I mean, you're teeing up this is an opportunity for marketing to really shine and really think creatively. So we've got these packages. Go ahead and advance, Pat. 
And what we have found, uh, we just launched this in January. And since then, we've won five jumbo employers. And, you know, we're representing about 50,000 employees, $125 million worth of balances. And it's really great because, okay, that's the bank results. But for marketing, it's really great to hear things like, this is the secret sauce. How do we do more from the CEO? You know, we are winning deals because of marketing. You know, it's been a lot. I've been in this biz for a long time and it's really, rare to get the head of sales to give a big old compliment like that for a marketing um, exercise. And he knows it. He's winning deals because of this thing. We also have directly participated in 15 finalist meetings since the beginning of the year. And, and that's, again, unheard of. Marketing was supposed to be this little dark department in a corner someplace, just getting them, filling them with brochures and maybe a trade show and all that stuff that we're actually being invited to go on these, these big presentations. Um, and we've been doing it virtually now too, since uh, March. So that's been exciting, you know, and in a year of political uncertainty, interest rate headwinds for us in the banking world, you know, marketing at my, at HSA bank has been allowed to add staff, right? So I got my budget approved to add staff. And so that's that's also a rare thing right now, I think, especially in the financial services industry. And, you know, I think the best one is the quote that we get from customers, which are saying no one has anything like this. Right. This has been really refreshing to see that HSA is really going to help us make a difference for our employees. So it's been a huge win. Really excited about everything that, you know, is is coming for us. Um, Looking forward to executing on all these deals now. Um, and I'm happy about that. So Pat, go ahead and I think have the kind of key takeaway. You know, marketing as a service might be something that, you know, is right for you. Maybe it's not the right time, but it certainly is a great way to have marketing show that we are an asset. We're delivering real business results um, and it it has worked for us. Uh, Marketers and campaigns that attach and entrench themselves with the key customers will naturally increase their importance and visibility. So a marketer that says, you know, this is how many clicks I got and, you know, all the marketing jargon that that we use. If you stay in that world, you're only going to be this interesting to your CEO. But when the CEO hears from Cigna or from Amazon or Microchip that, that's Stephanie Meyer. She and her team are just killing it for us. Guarantee I'm going to get a, you know, a nicer Christmas card. Don't simply think about product innovation. You know, get yourself aligned with the sales team, right? And I, and I know that this is, you know, both marketing and, and sales uh, forum that we're participating in, but it, it's very very rare, I guess, to see a real good alignment between marketing and sales um, in the world of B2B. And it's just been a really great uh, rewarding place for me to, to spend a lot of time nurturing that relationship. And then just become close to the sales and growth streams, you know, help them win deals. That's, that's where they make their money. That's where they get excited. And um, I'm really just happy to be able to take the last few minutes to tell you about Partnership Marketing Group here at HSA Bank. So some things just to leave you with to think about how, how well do you think you are aligned to your sales team? You know, what are the marketing innovations that you are hoping to try out next year? Um, think about not just product innovation, but also then that, that go-to-market innovation. 
And what are the barriers you would you see to doing something like this? So again, Pat, thank you very much for allowing me to uh, tell a little bit about our story here. And I think I'll hand it back to you. Thank you. Um, do we have any questions? Um, for some reason, I've lost my chat box here, but um, do we have any questions from uh, anybody participating for Stephanie specifically? I don't see any yet, Pat. Okay, we'll move on. Let's talk a little bit about artificial intelligence and marketing. Uh, and Julie's going to share a story about um, how traditional data leveraged by marketers is stale in today's world. This is a fact. And uh, we, we have longed for predictive data. And I know most of our marketers and researchers are working hard to identify ways to um, get our data in order and make it more predictive looking forward as opposed to looking backwards. So let me let uh, Julie go ahead and, and tell the story. Hey, thanks, Pat. Um, so I, I often laugh when I started testing out this platform, you usually have two choices when you look at data. It's either you've got a vast, very large set of data that will either take a great deal of time to cull through and usually one or two to four analysts to try and make sense of it, or you have very accurate data that is very specific. So you think about your list buys, about life events and that type of thing. But rarely do you find one that is vast and accurate. Forget about timely. You know, most of it is considered fresh if it's done monthly. Most of it's done quarterly. Well, I can tell you that the AI platforms of today are doing it weekly. And they're doing not just huge coverage, but pinpoint accuracy. And so why pick one or the other when you can have all three? Let's go to the next slide. So bad data, what does it do to you? Well, it blinds you, it confuses you, it keeps you busy, and it limits your growth. So instead, let's look at what AI can help you do. So add artificial intelligence with humans, and now you have this powerhouse. So think of AI as your personal analyst. It's going out and scouring web activity and consumption. And what you have is human in the loop or sales team and marketing expertise to understand how to direct that AI to get smarter, faster, and more intelligent for you. And what you can see is just a simple example of text mining. So you take 1.8 billion unstructured text signals. Think about the analyst team that you would need to have to even do this once a year. Forget about once a week. 80% of the signals are extracted even from text that isn't even text. It's embedded into charts. And so what this engine is doing is what you'll see is the topics. This is for literally illustrative purposes only. But if these were your topics, it is scouring every page of every website, looking for those things and giving each page and each lead or each company a score. Then once a week, it sends you a report to tell you on your, on your client list, on your prospect list, who's trending, who's consuming more about the things you're interested in. So basically, this engine is giving you a prioritized call a prioritized remarketing system. It is telling you who is already in the funnel before you even have your Monday morning coffee. You can partner with your sales team. So we started this and I, I likened it to having like the best sports car in the garage. And when the pandemic hit, it was just 
no one wanted to touch it. And it was killing me. And then I realized that we could pivot and instead of acquisition and deepening, we could focus on retention. So you load in all of your clients, just their website URLs. That's all it means. And it looks at week over week web consumption based on your keywords. By the way, I recommend keywords being your company, your competitors, and any other non-traditional competitors. And it will tell you if your client is looking, oh, they're looking at Wells Fargo a little bit more than normal. They're not looking at you. Time to call that client. And so this is where sales and marketing really becomes integral parts of retaining that client. It also lets you focus in on deepening. So my favorite story is we were testing this platform. We were testing one of the keywords. A client came up that I recognized. I Skyped my sales manager and said, hey, have you talked to this company lately? He said, we've been trying to get in front of them for a couple of months now, but haven't really been successful. I said, well, this week they're looking at us 60% more than they were last week it might be a good time to call. Next thing you know, they had a meeting and they ended up getting the meeting and the pitch. So this is again, going back to what Stephanie said is we need to lock arms with sales and we need to be our own best advocates because when they see us adding value and understanding the business and helping them get the speed of the deal so much faster, they're going to lean in a little bit more. So. With AI, it's just like trying to drive a car looking through your rearview mirror if you're looking at legacy data, right? You, can, you need to look in the rearview mirror, but you will never get to your destination if you're not looking forward. And too many times marketers rely on backwards facing data. Thank you, Julie. And if you're not already onto this, um, you better get on quickly because I can tell you that most of the banks are looking at this seriously and using it exactly as, as Julie is describing here. Um, but marketing needs to be part of this process. Um, you can be a driver. You can change the way things have always been. You, know, you don't have to have this solely in the area of digital research and analytics. This is a marketing function and marketing can play a serious role. So I encourage you all to uh, look at it and um, and reach out to Julie. Um, she'd probably be w- very willing to share with you some of the uh, things that she was looking at and things she implemented. So, get, Julie, thank you. Of course. It was a pleasure. Andrew, any questions for Julie? Um, the question I think it might have been for Stephanie Pryor. Did you have team members who resisted the change? Um, those who were afraid or preferred brochure type makers? Uh, if so, how did you inspire them to think beyond the current? Yeah, I, I would say they've been pretty um, excited and um, but maybe a little nervous at the same time. And the nervousness that came when we started doing this is the pure volume that we might be promising, right? Because those those sales guys are, you know, are renegades, you know, and they're going to just use us and sell this and we're not going to be able to keep up with the, the capacities. So Most of the fear alignment has been to play out of how do you do these things in mass that feel very custom, that are actually pretty replicable, whether that's templates or just getting a few under your belt, I think has been um, uh, the the biggest thing we we can do is say, let's, it's a great problem to have guys, right? Do we all admit that? Okay, then let's go. (laughs) We'll figure it out. And then a question for, for Julie was around if uh, GDPR or any other 
regulatory things are became a problem when you were trying to use AI? Well, because we're B2B, we really didn't have to worry about like the California Protection Act. We didn't have to focus on that. And because we are looking at IP addresses associated with a website, a URL, there wasn't as much regulatory. Um, this, this platform that I used was really, really savvy. Um, and what I, I told Pat, I could create a lookalike model by myself with no analyst help in 15 minutes and turn it live. So the machines are getting really good at learning what we want. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Okay, let's um, move on to one of probably the hottest topics um, of the year, <laughs> turning our lives into virtual events. Um, everybody has been challenged with this, whether you're managing sponsorships or conferences or even your own individual client and prospect events. So um, I asked uh, Angie to share some of the experiences that she's had. As you might guess, a bank the size of BNP Paribas has some very serious sponsorships um, that I, I, we realize not everybody has, but, um, and, uh, and obviously she won't be able to talk about some of the intimacies of all those relationships. But the bottom line was, let's talk a little bit about how you can take advantage of some of the, um, your own business partnerships, um, community partnerships to bring alive your events for um, all of your audiences. So Angie, let me have you take it away from here. Thank you, Pat. Um, so hello, everyone. I'm excited to be here today. Um, as Pat mentioned, I oversee uh, sponsorships and partnerships for BMP Paribas corporate and institutional banking, CIB, in the U.S. BNP provides corporates, financial institutions, and institutional investors with a complete range of products and services um, from daily banking needs to investment banking solutions. So I'm going to shift gears, as Pat said a little bit, and talk about dynamic virtual client events. So how do you create an impactful and meaningful event at a time when everyone is on Zoom burnout? And your budgets for the rest of 2020 and perhaps 2021 may have been reduced. So you may also be faced with the challenge of not having the budget to create such an event. Um, event planning during the pandemic has made everyone have to rethink and pivot and find new ways to creatively have online gatherings and events. Our events team at BMP has been really busy facilitating conferences with business content throughout this time. We've learned a lot along the way and have had great feedback on these programs, but we've had an increasing request from the businesses within the bank to create exclusive client entertainment events as a different way to connect with a client in a meaningful and engaging way. And when our RMs come to us, they usually don't have anything in mind and they're looking to us to come up with the ideas. So there are many virtual offerings available from a variety of vendors and DMCs, ranging anywhere from wine tastings to mixology and cooking classes. And some of you may have already tapped into these already. These types of virtual events require minimal effort and are set up by a vendor. Your client receives wine, cooking ingredients, whatever it may be. But are there other meaningful ways to tap into existing relationships you already have to create something truly unique and unforgettable? So what do I mean by that? As I oversee our strategic sponsorships and partnerships for the bank, um, I am usually overseeing events ranging from tennis hospitality for hundreds of clients a day 
to a table of 10 at a gala of a cultural partner. And due to the pandemic, the majority of our events were canceled or rescheduled in a virtual format, which I assume is the case for many of you. So our relationship managers have not been able to connect with clients in 2020 as they have been able to in the past, and they're craving that connection. So it's very likely that no matter the size of the institution you work for, um, you have some sort of existing partnerships or sponsorships that you can leverage to tap into benefit. Before I explore some of the ways you can do this, uh, the first steps are to identify and map. So identify what are your clients' interests. Um, draw on pre-existing data. Are there surveys you may have done in the past or feedback you've received that you can look to for some insight into what your clients' interests are? To draw on an example that I had recently, we had a museum partner here in New York offer a virtual tour and talk with a curator as a client entertainment option. We went out to some of the key relationship managers in the businesses and the feedback was, we've seen this done before. It's not unique and something we feel our clients can't find on their own. I tended to agree, but as our partner approached us with the idea, I did a quick ask and I was correct in my assumption that this wasn't interesting or dynamic enough. So I can't stress enough how important it is to be the one driving the ideas. Your partner may, not, may have some thoughts, but they may not be right for you. Um, you may not have conducted surveys in the past, so you can use this as an opportunity to conduct a survey with your RMs, your bankers, whomever you work with, and use this data before approaching your partners. Um, something else to consider are what are your competitors doing in this space? Consider what about your brand sets you apart from your competitors. Stay true to your brand and align your events with your corporate pillars. This way you have more of a chance of creating something that's unique. So you've gathered your research and now it's time to approach your community partners and sponsor partners. When you do reach out, I like to do, I like to do what I call a collaboration check-in. Lead with empathy when connecting with your partners, especially cultural institutions as they rely on their annual fundraisers visitors and donors to keep afloat, and they've been impacted severely this year. So it's important to approach every negotiation with good fundamentals with your partner and lead with empathy. You may have an existing contract in place with them, and your partners may not have been able to give you the benefits outlined in your contract this year due to COVID. Um, you may have already been faced with this case um, for that one-time contract for an event space or service that was canceled due to COVID. And you've had to work with your legal team to enforce the force majeure clause, but that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about long-term partner agreements where you have a number of benefits to tap into through the length of your agreement. Before going into the conversation with your partners, consider what your primary goals are for the negotiation. Are you looking for an event in lieu of the canceled events this year, for example? Um, is your partner offering you a virtual option to make up for the canceled event this year, but you don't feel it'll be of interest to your clients? Um, those who succeed approach negotiations with a business mindset and the acknowledgement that the vendor or partner in this case must also deliver a benefit to you. 
just be open and honest in your conversations. And if what they're offering you as a benefit, you feel really doesn't suit your company's needs, provide them with the feedback you've received internally. It's important to let your partners know we're here for you. We want to support you during this difficult time as well. But we want to work together to ensure we're partnering on events that our clients want to partake in. So this is your opportunity to ask if there are some relationships or networks that they could tap into based on your feedback. Chances are they're connected to a number of partners um, that they can tap into. It's also not unreasonable to ask for an extension of your corporate partner agreement. If it is due to expire in December and you haven't been able to leverage any of your benefits this year, it's totally reasonable to ask that it be extended into 2021. I mentioned a bit ago how our relationship managers were not excited about a virtual museum tour. But if I had received feedback that our clients are interested in cultural events, a way I might work with our partner museums is to ask them if we could access one of their featured artists. That would be something that's unique. Connecting with an artist, what inspires their works, an opportunity to do a Q&A. And that's something that's, that you can't find on YouTube already, and that's unique. So another network I want to talk about um, that you can tap into are internal business relationships with senior management and board members. See if you can join an executive meeting where you'll have the opportunity to brainstorm with them and see if they're connected to somebody, uh, perhaps a famous chef. I know a bank that had a board member that is good friends with a Michelin star rated chef, and they were able to book him to do a, a cooking class virtually, and they got great feedback from the clients. And that's something that'll keep people talking forever. I cooked with Eric Repair, whoever it may be. Um, maybe they're a member of a golf club, and they can have a PGA pro do an online clinic uh, to work on your golf swing. You never know what ideas may came up, come up in a brainstorming session. And having that connection is what creates a dynamic event. You now have a direct introduction from a senior leader to somebody. And that's something you can't get by cold calling. So I want to leave a little time for Q&A. Um, but to do a quick recap, um, one, map and identify your client interests through a survey or drawing on pre-existing data. Um, two, do a collaboration check-in with your partners. Let them know you're thinking of them. They may still have employees furloughed, so take this into consideration as it may take them some time to get back to you, which has been my case. Three, listen to your partners and what benefits they're proposing. Four, take into consideration what they've offered, the feedback you've received, and be open and honest with them to what type of opportunities you're looking for and see if there are some untapped benefits um, through their networks. Um, also, consider asking for an extension on your current contractual agreement, which also may buy you some time to think of ways you can partner together until it's safe to meet again in person. And lastly, be a partner at the C-suite table and see if you can be connected with your leaders' networks. That's the best way to get connected to a VIP. Um, and with that, I'll, I'll hand it back to Pat, um, unless... Anyone has any questions at this time? Which I see that there's a couple of questions that came in, I believe. Yeah, Pat, there was one we didn't get to that I think could be, could be good for each of the presenters to address. It was about, um, about team members and how that's evolved a bit. Um, 
So are, are there different roles that you prioritize in hiring? And I think it would be interesting, particularly when you factor in AI and virtual events, have, have roles uh, changed much in priority or structure? I think it would be good to hear from each of the speakers. I know, well, Stephanie, this is something you were uh, chatting a bit one-on-one, -on -one, but maybe you could share some of your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, for the topic that I was just referring with you guys is, you know, it's really key for that first guy to work on partnership marketing to be client facing. Um, at the, the question that came in, it was interesting from Carrie. Um, she said, you know, some people prefer to be the brochure makers. And that's great. We need we need the engine room of those marketers that are doing, you know, all of that stuff. And some of them are even introverts. But this first one, you got to have somebody who can go toe to toe with the sales guy and be client facing and polished and have all of that. So um, that's the that's the role that that I prioritize. I think in this new world that we're all discovering, this COVID stuff is you you're going to have your wallflower participation right in these Zoom meetings, and then you're going to have people who can deliver and talk and be dynamic. You know, clearly that's why Pat chose Angie and Julie. I'm not sure how I got on the the, the role role here, but um, I I think that that those kinds of folks are really important. Julie and Angie. Well, as far as AI, and I agree, you have to have a mix of the frontline guys and then the the worker bees that are just happy to sit with content, create killer content because you need both. Um, with AI, I think this is just another tool versus a prioritization. Um, the stuff that I was working on, it was so easy, so user-friendly. And if your company actually buys into the need for this, Oracle actually built it into their um, Salesforce. So it, it almost became a tool that was used by everyone at the enterprise. Every sales relationship manager would get a fire report saying this is fit, intent, and, and is engaged. So now this is these are the calls you make today. So it takes a lot of the, the hard work out, and it makes you be able to do the smart work. I'll say for, my, for myself, um, I'm a team of one in the sponsorship world. So, however, uh, we have a sister bank in California and there is a sponsorship team there. So I connect with them and we're also a global bank. So there is a sponsorship manager at in several countries around the world that I can connect with. So um, I tap on them as well. You know, is there something they've already created or done? And I can, you know, rather than reinvent the wheel, use something, leverage one of their networks or you tap into one of their ideas. So that's that's my network of people are, are outside of New York and around the world. <laughs> Pat, the other question I have for the group that I'd love a quick response on is B2B becoming more of a priority with your within your organizations? Is it, is it viewed as a growth? Uh, channel versus traditional consumer banking? Yeah, for, for us, for sure. Um, we rely on the employers um, at HSA. And then on, at Webster, you know, it's become commercial banking is becoming very, very um, new and exciting space for us to grow our business. Julie, you work with numerous clients, but are you seeing B2B become more of a priority? I think it depends on the enterprise as a whole. Um, so at SunTrust, I, I can tell you that about 50% of the revenue came from the B2B space. 
but I think that the budget was less than 10% of all marketing. So the challenge is people don't understand the B2B value and they don't understand how to attribute success in a B2B world. Because, I mean, I often called it, I was hunting big game, right? There are only so many bears or only so many whales out there that you can grab onto. And so it, the sales cycle's longer. And that's hard for an enterprise that splits between B2C and B2B. Because when you're looking at a sales cycle that could be 18 to up to 11 years to land a, a huge merger and acquisition, how do you attribute that on, a, on an annual basis when you're pitching budget dollars? So there are some intrinsic challenges of businesses shifting from B to B, but when you're seeing small businesses rise, they're treated almost like B to C relationships. And I think that's a disservice to small business. An 11 year deal cycle. That's, that's one for the books. It, it actually was, it was one of our deals. It was 11 long years of calling and, and just whittling them down. But so Pat, I think that's all the questions. I'll let you, uh, I'll let you conclude. Okay. Um, I want to thank um, Julie and Angie and Stephanie. Um, fantastic ideas shared today. I hope that everybody who joined us um, got a little bit tidbit that you can take back and try in your own company or your own financial institution. Um, we are all here for you. We talk about these issues all the time within the corporate financial group. So I invite you to uh, reach out directly to any one of our individuals here today, Angie, Julie, and Stephanie. Uh, their LinkedIn uh, links are there for you to connect with. And um, also, if you'd like to know more about what we're doing as a community of B2B financial marketers, please do reach out to me and I'd be happy to share with you what we've been talking about this year. It's been interesting. Um, we've even had to shift dramatically. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a great year. In the, uh, topic mix that we've entertained has been broad and deep. So uh, I thank you again, Andrew. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, thank you, Angie, Julie, and Stephanie for sharing your stories. And uh, with that, we will bid you a good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.